My name is Margaret Sumter. I'm a member of the 8am service and it's my pleasure to read God's word to you today. So let's open our Bibles to Ecclesiastes chapter 1. So I never find this. So open your Bibles to the middle, you'll find Psalms, then Proverbs, and then the next book is Ecclesiastes. So Ecclesiastes 1 verses 1 to 18. The words of the teacher, son of David, king in Jerusalem. Meaningless, meaningless, says the teacher, utterly meaningless. Everything is meaningless. What do people gain from all their labours at which they toil under the sun? Generations come and generations go, but the earth remains forever. The sun rises and the sun sets and hurries back to where it rises. The wind blows to the south and turns to the north. Round and round it goes, ever returning on its course. All streams flow into the sea, yet the sea is never full. To the place the streams come from, there they return again. All things are wearisome, more than one can say. The eye never has enough of seeing, nor the ear its fill of hearing. What has been will be again. What has been done will be done again. There is nothing new under the sun. Is there anything of which one can say, Look, this is something new. It was here already long ago. It was here before our time. No one remembers the former generations, and even those yet to come will not be remembered by those who follow them. I, the teacher, was king over Israel in Jerusalem. I applied my mind to study and to explore by wisdom all that is done under the heavens. What a heavy burden God has laid on mankind. I have seen all the things that are done under the sun. All of them are meaningless, a chasing after the wind. What is crooked cannot be straightened. What is lacking cannot be counted. I said to myself, look, I have increased in wisdom more than anyone who's ruled over Jerusalem before me. I have experienced much of wisdom and knowledge. Then I applied myself to the understanding of wisdom and also of madness and folly. But I learned that this too is a chasing after the wind. For with much wisdom comes much sorrow. The more knowledge the more grief. Hey guys, I'm Ellen and I um, attend the youth group here at St Matt's and I'm going to be reading um, from the book of Romans, chapter 8, verse 18 to 23. I consider that our present sufferings are not worth comparing with the glory that will be revealed in us. For the creation waits in eager expectation for the children of God to be revealed. For the creation was subjected to frustration not by its own choice, but by the will of the one who subjected it, 
in hope that the creation itself will be liberated from its bondage to decay and brought into the freedom and glory of the children of God. We know that the whole creation has been groaning as in the pains of childbirth right up to the present time. Not only so, but we ourselves, who have the first fruits of the Spirit, groan inwardly as we wait eagerly for our adoption to sonship, the redemption of our bodies. Well, hi there, everyone. My name's Scott. I'm one of the ministers. I need you to get open Ecclesiastes chapter 1, and I'll pray, and then we'll get underway. Heavenly Father God, as we consider this ancient book, make us wise, we pray. Amen. About six weeks ago, a hefty branch cracked off the large tree at the back of our backyard. It would have killed us if we were hanging, washing out on the line. As it turned out, it, it just landed up against the side of the house without doing too much damage. We got the tree guy to cut it all up. And while you're at it, mate, can you thin out some of the other branches? This thing is it's way too big and way too dangerous for a suburban street, which he did top fella and now the tree has flowered beautifully and bright lorikeets happily cheap away at the fruit all day long and fruit bats fight ferociously like demon possessed toddlers all night long and so we've had to move out of our bedroom out the back to our front room which we're really grateful for but now we can hear cheeky rats in our roof cavity during the night and they've got in from a branch of a neighbor's tree, I suspect. I mean, I would cut it off, but then it would flower beautifully and bring in bright lorikeets by day and demonic bats by night. It's kind of absurd. I'm not really sure what to make of it all. I uh, did a, a wedding for a couple um, just this past Friday. There was the mandatory five of us, myself the bride and groom and a friend each as witnesses. And I bet the bride always dreamt of walking down the aisle of an empty church without her family, without her friends, to a lonely live stream audience. I bet that's the way she always pictured her special day. I think about the, the guy who spent two decades building his business and then a virus hits and he doesn't qualify for JobKeeper because perhaps for the first time his business is taking off and so he hasn't lost turnover compared to last year. But he's wondering how he's going to keep his gun staff. In fact, he's wondering how he's going to keep going at all. I think of the retired couple who worked hard all their lives, uh, took a trip of a lifetime to celebrate their 40th wedding anniversary on a cruise. And then the wife got sick and don't even know if she's going to pull through, actually. It's absurd. I don't know what to make of it all. And I'm sure you've got stories of your own that demonstrate the absurdity, the unpredictability, the impenetrable nature of human life under the sun. That's good. You're going to need them as we begin our project for this term through the Old Testament book called Ecclesiastes because this book explores questions of life and meaning and purpose and judgment and waste and confusion confusion and death and justice. And normally someone in my position would be trying to convince you that you cannot actually control all the events of your life. And I would use elaborate arguments and evocative stories but the virus has done that work for me. And the way that it has altered, hampered, confused, perhaps even destroyed, often quite randomly, 
has demonstrated that we're not in control. So how do we live wisely in light of all that? Well, friends, welcome to the project for this term. But actually, isn't that the project for our life? What I want to do today is set up this book of Ecclesiastes for you so that you've got the tools and the ideas to help you navigate our passage through this most honest and intriguing book of the Old Testament. And before we look at the opening verses, it's worth noting that this book of Ecclesiastes sits in a part of the Old Testament called Wisdom Literature, alongside Proverbs, Job, uh, Song of Songs. Proverbs is very optimistic about wisdom, suggesting that if you apply yourself to wisdom with a healthy dose of the fear of the Lord, that by and large, life will go well for you. It's not an absolute promise. It's a strong suggestion. Now, the book of Job challenges that optimism as Job suffers greatly, though he had done nothing wrong. And Ecclesiastes, in its own way, as we're going to discover, also challenges that optimism of Proverbs. But it's also worth noting just for now that these four books, Proverbs, Ecclesiastes, Song of Songs, and Job, are not the only wisdom literature in the Bible. You could argue that the story of Joseph in Genesis is wisdom literature, that the story of Daniel is wisdom literature, and then in the New Testament that the book of James is wisdom literature, that Jesus' parables are wisdom literature, that his magnificent Sermon on the Mount is wisdom literature. Indeed, that Jesus himself is the ultimate wise man and is described in 1 Corinthians as the wisdom of God. So there's more to wisdom than this single book of Ecclesiastes. It doesn't say it all, but boy, it makes a contribution. Well, let's see how it begins. Read along with me in verses 1 and 2. The words of the teacher, son of David, king in Jerusalem. Meaningless, meaningless, says the teacher, utterly meaningless. Everything is meaningless. So that's a, a pretty cheery start, hey? But these opening lines tell us some important details. Someone that we might call the narrator or the host introduces to us the teacher in verse 1. And the word teacher there means somebody who gathers a crowd, an audience, somebody who is presenting information to a gathering. Uh, we might call him the keynote speaker or the presenter of a TED Talk, rather than, say, a school teacher per se. And he's got something to say that is the result of much study. So even in this title, there is an invitation to us to listen in carefully. And you can also see from verse 1 that this teacher has got a rather distinguished background. In fact, it sounds like it's Solomon doing the talking, who, along with his father, King David, was the greatest king of Israel, based in Jerusalem. Certainly Solomon was regarded as the wealthiest and the wisest king of Israel. So whether the teacher actually is Solomon or is kind of speaking under the guise of Solomon, he's got some resources at his disposal. He's got wealth, he's got wisdom, and they're both pretty useful things to have when you're about to undertake a research project into the meaning of life. He's got the resources of a king. And yet not the posture of a king. He's got the posture of a researcher, of a scientist, of a scholar. 
Well, then in verse 2, the narrator or host hands it over to the teacher and the teacher introduces us to the theme tune of the presentation. It's kind of the melody that plays throughout the piece of work and it goes like this. Meaningless, meaningless. Everything is meaningless. And you might have heard this if you tuned into our introduction webinar on Wednesday night. But the word that we have translated as meaningless is the Hebrew word Havel. Spelt with a B, pronounced with a V. And I want you to say that word with me with some hearty Yiddish nasal action. Havel. I want you to try it at home. Havel. If you're not spitting at someone as you say it, you are not doing it right. Do it again. Havel. And Havel literally means a vapor, mist, smoke, something you can see but you, you just can't grab hold of. And it doesn't just mean meaningless in the way that we usually understand meaningless. It means that things are temporary and fleeting, like a mist or a vapor. It means something like, you might say, impermanent. Uh, and it can also have the sense of mysterious, unpredictable, shadowy, impenetrable, kind of like smoke. You know, you think you can see it, but you can't grasp it. You can't grab hold of it. It really is a chasing after the wind. Chevel. It's much more than meaningless in the way we normally use that word in English. A mist, vapor, smoke, fleeting, impermanent, unpredictable, shadowy, hard to grasp, impossible to grab a hold of, at least not for very long. And friends, you really have to understand Havel because it's the theme tune that appears, I think it's 38 times throughout this book. And unless you understand that's what Havel means, you will be depressed by this book rather than steered in the direction of wisdom. Well, let's unpack this first instance of Havel the first time we hear the theme tune playing in verses 2 to 6. Read along with me in your Bibles. Meaningless, meaningless, says the teacher. Utterly meaningless. Everything is meaningless. What do people gain from all their labors at which they toil under the sun? Generations come and generations go, but the earth remains forever. The sun rises and the sun sets, hurries back to where it rises. The wind blows to the south and turns to the north, round and round it goes, ever returning on its course. The teacher looks at what goes on under the sun. That's a key phrase where uh, we'll get to shortly. And he asks the question, what's the point of it all? All the work and toil and trouble. For a start, there's, there's a monotonous repetitiveness to life. People come and people go. Only the earth remains. The sun rises and sets, and then it rises and sets again. The wind blows to the south and then turns to the north. Round and round it goes. Read with me verse 9. What has been will be again. What has been done will be done again. There is nothing new under the sun. The natural world keeps doing its thing, whether it's the sun, the wind, the waters, whether it's human beings who are born and then habitually die, not even just as individuals, but, but as generations as well. 
And there's no novelty either. Everything has been done. Nothing is really new, is it? Of course, if you're young, you may not pick up on this so much because you are doing many things for the first time, I guess. But it won't be too long before you really start getting jack of just the ordinary course of life. You do the washing on Monday night. You hang it out to dry on Tuesday. But by Friday, all your clothes are dirty again and you've got to start all over. One of my uh, former careers, my job was to do company tax returns. And because I worked there for six years, I did the same company's tax returns for six years. I'd uh, pull out the file and there'd be a divider for two, uh, 1999, let's say, in 2000 and 2001 and 2002. And it really was as if the file was whispering to me, there is a boring repetition to life itself. Now, it's been a long time since I left that job, but I bet you there is still a file and there is a divider in that file for 2003 and four and five and every year since. And one of the really depressing things about this repetition of life is that the world was going before we were born It'll be there after we die, and no one will care that you lived. Verse 11. No one remembers the former generations, and even those yet to come will not be remembered by those who follow them. A neighbor of mine once posed this question. How many of us know anything about our great-grandparents other than their names? You live to see your great-grandchildren. You will be lucky, but they won't remember you. The world and life go on and on as they always have, but no one will remember you once you're gone. No goal is reached. No event is new. No item is permanent. No significance is lasting. This is what the teacher observed about life under the sun. And so having observed that there's nothing gained under the sun, verse 3, that there's nothing new under the sun in verse 9, the teacher sets out on a great project to study and explore by wisdom all that is done under heaven. And I don't know about you, but when I read verses 12 to 18, it's got the hint of an adventurer about it. I'm not sure if you're much of an adventurer. I had a friend ask me recently if I had any adventures planned. I personally think you've got to be pretty wealthy to be an adventurer. If you're going to row your boat across the Tasman Sea or ride your motorcycle across the Sahara or climb Everest, you've got to have lots of backing behind you. Adventures are are a bit beyond us average folks, I reckon. And besides, I've got three teenage sons, so that's enough adventure for me for now. But as the teacher sets off on this grand research project, it it does sound like he's an adventurer with plenty of cash behind him. He's saying the scope of this research project is going to be expansive. No stone will be left unturned. No expense will be spared. No subject is taboo. I'm going to give wisdom a crack. I'm going to give madness and folly a crack. I'm going to give everything a crack in this project. I'm going to study and explore everything that human beings do to see if meaning can be found in any of it. I am the king, verse 1 and verse 12, so I've got the coin. 
and I've got more wisdom than anyone else before me. Verse 16, let's see where this thing takes us. But as he releases the preliminary findings of this research project, he doesn't appear to have gotten any further than where we started in verse 2. I think you can hear the theme tune playing in the background in verse 14. Read it with me. I've seen all the things that are done under the sun. All of them are meaningless. A chasing after the wind. And when he thinks about the contrast between wisdom and folly or stupidity, the results are even a shade darker. Verse 18, For with much wisdom comes much sorrow. The more knowledge, the more grief. The interim results are in. And it's not good news. Everything that humans do to attempt to find meaning in this life is chevel. It's all a vapor, a mist, smoke, chasing after the wind. Life itself is confounding, unpredictable, impenetrable. The things we get up to in life, which we'll look at in more detail in the coming weeks, do not give us lasting satisfaction. Work and wealth and pleasure do not bring any permanent sense of meaning to us. Justice and government are fickle things. I mean, there are some consolations that we're going to discover, but that's all they are, consolations. Really, everything is fleeting and impermanent. Life itself is mysterious and absurdly unknowable. And then you die. And friends, that seems to be the lot of those who live under the sun. And that phrase, under the sun, it's a key phrase in Ecclesiastes. Uh, it's a way of looking at the natural world as a closed unit, I think, as, as an entity unto itself without reference to God. Life under the sun in this ecosystem, the cosmos as we see it, without reference to a God beyond it all, is Hevel. Our attempts to find meaning and make purpose and control the chaos and nail down anything of value without reference to God will always be thwarted. Have you ever sensed that in your being? Do you sense it right now? Have you at all pondered how fortunate we are to be living in Sydney rather than Wuhan or northern Italy or New York City? Or that it could have just as easily been the other way around. It's absurd. How do you make sense of the data? Part of what I think we need to do is just sit in the uneasiness of it all for a while. If we go looking for solutions too quickly, we'll miss out on the opportunity this moment presents to develop wisdom. The teacher is describing life as it really is, friends, not life as it ought to be. And part of what that means for us is that we, if we are going to live a wise life, we need to acknowledge that our human attempts to nail down deep meaning and any sense of permanence will come to nothing. And I do think it's better for us to realize that now, at the outbreak of a pandemic, than much later as we lie restless on our deathbeds. A life well lived, a wise life, tempers the predictable 
positivity of Proverbs. You know, you do the right thing and things will go right for you with the pain of Job, where terrible things happened to an innocent person and with the the fog and the mist and the smoke of Ecclesiastes in which life is less predictable, it's less penetrable and it's therefore less positive. It will do us good to accept that and it simply does not work for us to demand of God that our world and our lives be neatly comprehensible to us. And even belief in God doesn't relieve us of this experience of Hevel entirely. I think we even further need to accept that this is a burden placed upon us in some way by God. I I wonder if you noticed there was a subtle shift in terminology in verse 13, where the teacher talked about under heaven rather than under the sun. Did you notice that? And did you notice that right after using the word heaven, he references God there in verse 14. What a heavy burden God has laid on people. You know, on the few occasions Ecclesiastes uses under heaven rather than under the sun, it references God right afterwards. And on each occasion it says God is in heaven, He's laid this burden upon us. He's intervened or intruded into the closed ecosystem of life. And the teacher seems to be saying that God is somehow in some way responsible for our inability to comprehend, to find meaning and significance in life. We can sense that a greater reality exists, but we cannot grasp it clearly like God can. And that in some way, he's imposed this upon us. He's laid this burden upon us. And you might well ask the question, why? But you know the answer, why? It's not only that we cannot comprehend it in our smallness and our simplicity. It's also because there was a time where we lived in a great world, where meaning was contained and consumed in right relationship with God, but where we as a race rejected that and wanted to find meaning on our own without him. It's the original virus called sin. And friends, we have all been infected. And it's as if God is saying to humanity, I am so grieved. Partly for myself. But moreover, I am grieved for you that you would attempt to find meaning without me. For do you not know that your attempts can be summed up in a single word? Havel. Havel. So part of what we do is we accept Havel for what it is and not rail for what life ought to be. Part of what we do is we accept Havel as the consequence of our human desire to break out and away from God as if he were not enough for us. But do you remember earlier when I said that Ecclesiastes was not the final word of wisdom, when I said there were other wisdom books like Proverbs and Job and James? There were other wise characters, Joseph, Daniel, Jesus, who give us a fuller picture of wisdom. So as we sit in Havel, 
and accept Havel as part and parcel of life under the sun. Let's very briefly move forward to Romans chapter 8, where it talks about the whole creation being subjected to frustration by God, and where it describes us as humans as groaning. Frustration and groaning, they've got a real Ecclesiastes feel about them, don't you think? One outstanding scholar said that with Romans' idea of frustration, we have the teacher's havel in its New Testament clothes. It's recognizably the same, and yet something's changed. Well, what has changed havel is hope. And uh, And that hope has been brought about by nothing other than the gospel itself. The good news of the life, death, resurrection and return of the Lord Jesus Christ. Because of what God has done for us in the life, death and resurrection of Jesus, the creation itself hopes for liberation from decay. And our groans are also like the hopeful groans of childbirth that point us forward to a future life. A life in which we again experience perfect relationship with God as his adopted children. A life in which we experience the redemption or the renewal of our bodies so that death does not defeat us. A new life with new bodies in a new creation in heaven with God, not under the sun without him. So that there is Havel and there is also hope. And the wisest of humans sits with the one whilst looking forward to the other. Amen and Amen.